0: Show for PC users who can handle the truth. And now, here's your host, Gene Steinberg. Adam Inks of Tidbits and Take Control Books joins us on this segment a little bit later. We'll be hearing from tech journalist Rob Pegarero, who's a columnist for USA Today and lots and lots of other places. Right now, let's explore what Adam has to tell us, but I'm going to throw him a curve. He knows I do this every so often, where instead of just talking about the stuff we decided to talk about, I throw something in. (laughs) So, there is a story at one of the Mac rumors sites, Apple Insider, which is, as these places go, pretty decent. And they claim that there is a listing or a placeholder listing at a computer store in Belgium, indicating something about the next Mac Mini. Not a big story. We expect the Mac Mini will be updated someday, that sort of thing. But when you get these placeholders or these listings from these stores, question I have, Adam, is, is that a mistake? Is that wishful thinking? Or does Apple deliberately seed this stuff to stores around the world to
1: see how people react? Obviously, there's no way to know for sure. However, there obviously are two possibilities. One is that someone messed up and released some information before it should have been put out. And that does happen. We've seen that happen in the past where the way web servers work is you will usually have a staging server and then you'll have your live server. And so you'll you'll get everything ready on the staging server. So you can just push a button when you need to uh, to take this information live, such as when the next Mac Mini comes out, the problem is that it's all too easy to push that button early, and so that's how the mistake can happen. All that said, back in the day, this is longer ago. Um, this is you know more in the more in the the early Steve Jobs returning era. Apple was known to mess with people that they. There was, oh, gosh, there was something about a consultant who had offered to, you know, do something for Apple and, you know, written this letter or whatnot, and Jobs and company decided to play with him and, you know, they actually contacted him and said, oh, yep, we want you to, we want to hire you right away and do this and blah, and, and the guy didn't realize they were playing with him and it kind of it was a joke that kind of went wrong. So, it's conceivable that Apple could be doing this, and it's also conceivable they could be doing it to sort of see if they can trust various outlets to keep secrets. But something as specific as a Belgian retailer feels to me like a mistake. Feels to me like the sort of thing that someone just just tripped up over the information before, and left it out before they were supposed to. So you think they'll get a call from the Apple
0: distributor saying, no. <laughs> I'm, or yeah, I'm, gee, we could maybe find another dealer in Belgium I, who would yeah, I was yeah. I'm, I'm sure
1: this, this is the sort of thing that you know I don't know what quite what the uh, the, the culture is these days, but at various times in the past would have been a career limiting move. <laughs> so yeah, I'm I would be very surprised if uh, uh, if someone wasn't being chewed out fairly thoroughly about this at this point. You don't think it's above Apple
0: to continue to play this game because they know everything about Apple. Somewhere somebody's observing, trying to figure out. And certainly something about a new product. Even one that's, well, not the top of the product line. Something that would be an update that you expect, like an iMac or a Mac Mini with Haswell chips. And we have the iMac, now where's the Mac Mini? This sort of thing. Yes, I understand it could have been an innocent mistake, you have the staging server or the preparation place and someone pushed it out by mistake. But don't you think Apple knows that there are crazy people around the world who check every single site Mm -hmm. looking for something like this and will
1: report it when it happens? I think they do. But at the same time, it happens so much that it's probably beyond Apple's ability to manage that. In other words, Apple has – it used to be when Apple would release a new version of, say, the Mac Mini with a, just a speed bump, you know, a new chip, new CPU, but no other changes. They won't have an event for it. They may not even have a press release for it. And people will notice, and then it will, be, it will hit all the news. So, Apple doesn't have to do anything. And so, I think that they are, in essence, reaping the benefits of, from the PR standpoint, of being watched constantly, but i don't think for the most part they try to manage that down to the lowest level purely because it's it's probably just too hard first of all if they did manage it and you know anyone leaked the wrong thing that apple was intentionally doing it that would come back to to bite them, and secondly, I just think it's too many details. You know, trying to find a, a Belgian, um, you know, a reseller, a reseller uh, in another country to put some stuff up in their language—that's you know, so that the information will get out. It just feels like too much work. Maybe, but as long as there are crazy people out there who want
0: to know what Apple is up to.
1: Oh, and as I said I, I think Apple is actually perfectly happy about this fact. I mean, you don't see hardly any other companies being watched so carefully, and so that Apple gets tremendous press coverage for things they don't do have to do anything for. I mean, talk about a win 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 you know they don't you know for most of these kinds of things there isn't really isn't much room for negative reporting i mean. People aren't going to be unhappy that there's a new Mac Mini coming out. So, you know, it's just going to be, you know, good coverage, more or less, because there's not much else to say. It's a no-lose situation. Let's go on to some other things. Just very
0: briefly, because we talked about it a lot, Apple and the e-book price-fixing trial. And Apple complains about this compliance monitor. He's being too intrusive. And I don't know about you whether you see this TV show or not. There's a TV show on CBS, The Good Wife. No, I haven't seen it. Okay, so it involves, in part, a legal firm that in the course of the series goes bankrupt. So the court sends a bankruptcy monitor to make sure they're spending their money right and doing the right things to get back on track or they will be liquidated. And I thought of this guy that they sent over to Apple... And the person who I envisioned was not him, but the actor who played on The Good Wife, Nathan Lane. <laughs> and you know who Nathan Lane is. He's a wonderful character actor. He's one of the best out there. And I just kept thinking, Nathan Lane going to Apple and putting his nose into their affairs.
2: <laughs>
1: I, I, I've been following this a little bit, and actually put a little bit more effort into it um, just the other day, actually, because I was kind of curious that there's no real, you know, again, this is a situation where no one at Apple is actually talking to the press. And so, everything that's being said about this is being interpreted. And the first instance, the first coverage of this dispute between Apple and the, and the compliance monitor was a Wall Street Journal editorial. Wall Street Journal, um, definitely beating a conservative drum. So they are down on the concept of government regulation of companies, and and so this and it was an op-ed piece. I mean, this was this was not attempting to be news reporting. And so in this op-ed piece, they made some claims about how Michael Bromwich was a close personal friend of the judge Judge Denise Coate, who was the woman who who handed down the ruling, and then and at the time i frankly didn't give the, the 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 journal's coverage that much credit because they got a number of things completely wrong about the trial so you know if they and they were they were definitely cherry picking what they said about it and even still getting getting some of these things wrong to make make it look a certain way now This meme that that Michael Bromwich is, you know, a good buddy of Denise Coates, um, has gotten out into all the other coverage. But as far as I can see, it all traces back to that Wall Street Journal op-ed piece. And it's interesting
0: how one media source can fuel everybody else. And being that's the Wall Street Journal, it's taken seriously regardless of political leanings. Adam Inks joins us. More to come on the Tech Night Out live. You know, folks, I have a close relative who has been trying to set up a website. He gets his domain, looks great, but what about the site? What does he do next? Where does he start? Well, Squarespace, it's the all-in-one platform, makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website or online portfolio. Squarespace offers 24-7 support. And it's cheap. It only costs as little as $8 a month. You know, really inexpensive to set up your professional website. And you can start a trial with no credit card required. Build your website today in minutes. When you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure you use the offer code TECHNIGHTOWL. That's TECHNIGHTOWL to get 10% off your first purchase and show your support to the Tech Nite Owl Live. We thank Squarespace for supporting our show. Check them out at squarespace.com, squarespace.com.
4: To thank you for being a loyal listener, we have a limited-time freebie offer for you. Claim your free heirloom tomato seeds, just pay shipping, right now at 123freeseeds.com. These aren't ordinary seeds. These are heirloom, non-genetically modified, super seeds that are open-pollinated and can be grown, harvested, and replanted endlessly. These survival seeds are actually more valuable than gold in a crisis. Go to 123FreeSeeds.com and you can get an airtight storage packet of 150 super seeds free while supplies last to say thank you for being a loyal listener. First come, first served. Just cover shipping. Go to 123FreeSeeds.com now to see if your free heirloom seeds are still
5: available. That's one, two, three, free dot com. These days, so many suffer from heartburn, stomach ulcers, and acid reflux. And most never realize it is the high acidity within the body that causes their discomfort. While selective diet choices can help, AlcaVision plasma pH drops can really make a change. A few drops added to water can optimize your body's pH level, ridding you of harmful waste and acid, promoting health and restoring vibrance and energy. Healthy pH levels make all the difference. High acidity can also cause depression, insomnia, and irritability. AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops bring you vital balance that can be truly life-changing. Alkalizing boosts immune response, reduces headaches and cramping, and even helps prevent bone loss. This is simple science that helps your body do what's natural. Order your AlkaVision pH Drops for just $29.95 at AlkaVision.com. A-L-K-A-Vision.com. Or call 800-518-7615. Alkalize your body. Supercharge your health at AlkaVision.com.
6: We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Tech Night Owl Live, please send it to news at technightowl That's news at technightowl If you'd like to discuss today's show with fellow Night Owls, visit our community forums at forum That's
0: forum On the Tech Night Out Live, we have Adam Inks of Tidbits and Take Control Books. We're talking about the story of the court-appointed compliance monitor who caused a lot of trouble for Apple, at least according to Apple, and the story in the Wall Street Journal that this guy was a friend of the judge. Now, I suppose in the scheme of things, if a judge is going to pick someone, he or she will pick somebody they know, Right. Now, so the ex- other thing I understand here is that he came along with an assistant. Both assistants billed out at $1,000 an hour or $160,000 for two weeks, assuming a 40-hour work week. Is that
1: correct? I'd heard something along those lines. Again, we don't know. What I did look into is, this, is again, this claim of the, of the connection between Bromwich and Coat. And the only thing I was able to find, actually, is that he was appointed Inspector General in the Justice Department back in 92, maybe. And you can actually find the letters sent to Congress in support of his appointment. And one of those letters comes from Denise Coat. Uh-huh. And, and And, of course, says very... Complimentary things about him, as do all of the letters, because it's his references to Congress. So it does seem to be the case that they're that these that they know each other and have worked together. However, it's not like she has this buddy down the street who she thinks she, she thinks needs a job and you know and throws him this bone. He has some pretty significant uh, experience in this kind of field, um, including as it being an Inspector General for the Justice Department. So there are. Uh, The fact that he was put into the position, again, as you say, would certainly make sense that you would nominate someone you knew and presumably someone you thought could do the job. And from this guy's credentials, there's no indication that he is a terrible choice. So you know there was some claim like the assistant was necessary because the assistant like knew everything and he didn't he you know this guy was a complete a complete novice in some of the coverage i I'd, I'd, I'd read and that really doesn't seem to be the case in the end i think someone would actually have to attempt to interview him and or you know judge co and or these people at apple and get actual you know evidence about what's going on because it's really just based on court filings and one op-ed piece. Yeah, you know, there's really no other information on the ground that I've seen anywhere.
0: Well, the other thing you have to consider here is that even the need for an assistant may be the fact that Apple's one huge company and one person can't possibly go into every necessary nook and cranny to check for compliance. Yes. You know, maybe that's just asking one person to do too much. You know, we're not talking about some little dinky company that started in a garage. Well, it's a big company that started in a garage. We're talking about a company that makes you know upwards of $150 billion a year, has tons of money in the bank. It's a sprawling multinational corporation. So even one person way above his ability to check out everything.
1: Well, and there does seem to be another thing that Apple is complaining about is Apple's complaining that he is, you know, sort of looking into things that aren't related. And this is a somewhat tricky situation, I think, because Apple fought the case so hard and denied everything and was so fairly completely slapped down by the judge, despite, you know, this, that they are in essence you know a hostile a hostile defendant it's not surprising that he wouldn't trust apple to say what you know to you know to do what they're they're going to do they they gave no indication that they they never acknowledged they had done anything wrong you know they weren't going to they weren't going to make it easy in any way shape or form they argued with absolutely everything and even upon losing you know, they didn't, they didn't say, yeah, we're sorry. And so, it's created a, a, an adversarial situation from the very beginning. And so, I somewhat suspect that Apple's reaction to this is part of that adversarial situation. It may or may not be legitimate, know, there's no telling. Maybe this guy's being a true jerk about everything. Or maybe it's just another instance of, you know, let's see who can be more obnoxious. It may be
0: also the fact that he went in there expecting Apple to be hostile. And therefore, maybe he tries harder to get information because he figures, well, Apple's this big secretive company. They're being hostile. I've got to make sure I get the information
1: in accordance with the court mandate absolutely and 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 the fact that Apple is a big, very, very secretive company means they probably are are pushing back every step of the way because they don't want him nosing around in things that they don't believe he should be nosing around in or possibly they don't want him nosing around in anything and I will say that i if this is the case you know if you know if they've created a situation where um and and by they i mean both sides you know if bromwich and apple simply have gone in expecting the worst and both of them are going to find the worst because of it then i think this is just going to keep going just going to continue because it's there's no there's no solution to that kind of thing apple's never going to say oh well we didn't really mean it so sorry let's uh, you know, here, just look at everything. You know, they're not going to change that attitude. And similarly, he's not going to say, oh, well, if you don't want to let me talk to these executives, that's okay, I don't, I don't really need to. You know, of course he's going to see, you know, the, the worst motives in anything they deny him. So, yeah, it's ugly.
0: <laughs> in the meantime, it's temporarily suspended as the appeals court looks into it. So I guess we're not going to predict what's going to happen. You know, courts can be unpredictable. Let's look at something that is predictable or wasn't. In 1984, Super Bowl. 1984, people see an ad announcing the Apple Macintosh. What was Adam Inks doing in 1984? I know what I was doing.
1: Oh, geez, 1984. I was a senior in high school. Okay, you were a young. So I was kid. not. I was not watching. I was not watching the Super Bowl. <laughs> well, I agree with you. I'm not a big football fan.
2: Yeah, so, so I wasn't no, I, either. I,
1: I totally didn't, I didn't really notice, um, honestly, that, um, you know, and again, this was, it's sort of hard looking back to remember just how disconnected and uninformed we were and how hard it was to learn things. So, for instance, if you didn't watch the Super Bowl, that was it. You couldn't go to the internet the next day and watch all the ads. Like, we do now because those are often the best parts of it, um, you know that that you know. And I don't, I don't know, I, don't, I haven't gone back and looked, but I would be really surprised, for instance, if there was news coverage, particularly of the Macintosh, that after the day after.
0: Well, of course, they always have these reviews of the best Super Bowl commercial.
1: But in 1984, did they? Good question. See, that's the that's, thing. I tell you what.
0: I tell you what. We've got to do this break. Oh. Let's break but not with a Super Bowl commercial. Adam Inks joins us. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. Not just an
7: alternative to the mainstream media. We're the premier independent talk radio network. We are GCN. Attack of
8: the Rockoids has been well-received by critics and readers alike. It's a -a thrill-a-minute story you'll never forget.
11: Call now at 800-346-6829 to learn how I can help you. You know your IRS debt will not go away by itself, but you don't have to live in fear anymore. New changes to IRS policies will help more people than ever before eliminate their debts once and for all. There's no need for you to suffer another day with IRS debt. Call 800-346-6829. I can help you eliminate wage and bank levies, release tax liens, and negotiate a settlement with the IRS that will put your tax nightmare behind you forever. Call eight hundred thirty four no tax or go to my website, TaxHelpOnline.com. That's TaxHelpOnline.com.
12: Question. Could too many GMO foods and toxins be overloading your digestive and immune systems? Answer, yes. If you're searching for a powerful detox that's gentle enough to use every day, use Pro-EM-1 from Terragonics. Pro-EM-1 is a powerful liquid probiotic that uses good bacteria to suppress pathogens and gently eliminate toxins from your body. A healthy digestive system will cleanse and remove toxins, support weight loss, improve absorption of food nutrients, and aid in controlling yeast and other infections. Pro-EM-1 is made with only non-gmo and certified organic ingredients has no preservatives and is dairy soy wheat and gluten free pro em1 is the key to your digestive health order pro em1 daily probiotic cleanse at Terraganics.com. spelled t-e-r-a-g-a-n-i-x.com or call toll free 866-369-3678 that's 866-369-3678 also available through amazon prime pro em1 from TerraGanics. life's getting better Live with Gene Steinberg.
13: It's the Tech Night Owl. Because you never know what's going to happen next.
0: So let me tell you, back in 1984, I didn't watch the Super Bowl commercial either. I didn't watch the shows that showed the best Super Bowl commercial. What I did do... As I was working at a pre press house doing traditional typography, and it took a couple of years before we figured out that maybe we need to add Macs in that establishment and try out desktop publishing and see if it worked. At the same time, my wife is working with a composer and producer as a singer, and he shows me the ads for the Macintosh and says, You know, this might be a cool way to do my recording because musicians in the 1980s were looking at Macs as a way to have a home-based recording studio.
1: I was not using Macs in 1984, so um, so, you know, uh, um, you know, I guess what I would say is that at the time I don't think people were waiting for the Macintosh. That again, no one was expecting Either the Macintosh, no one was expecting, um, uh, no one was looking for the next computer. I mean, we didn't have, computers were new enough at the time still that people didn't have this, this sense that with a computer, all these things would become possible. That happened, but it took a while.
0: It's and like the old Monty Python skit nobody expects a
1: spanish (laughs) institution yeah and you know so i say so so when i look back at those times you know the Macintosh wasn't on my radar until would have been must have been may or june of that year i know it must have been may or june of 85 i'm sorry because that was when I went to Cornell. I went to Cornell in, in, uh, in fall of 85. And, but in the spring of 85, a friend of mine and I went to visit Cornell and stayed overnight with some, some undergrads. And, um, and the guy I stayed overnight with, um, who I later, later knew when I was an undergrad, in fact, uh, had a Mac. And, and this was back in the days when everyone had pirated games because that was what you did and if you were an undergraduate and so I was just sort of stunned that this guy you know had a Mac and all of these games and it was just sort of the coolest thing ever because I hadn't actually I don't think I'd actually seen a Mac in the wild before that um, you know there weren't stores that just had them um, and uh, and you know you could you could potentially you know find you know go to a store in some larger city to find one that kind of thing but uh, but Cornell was an early a uh, member of the Apple Education Consortium, and so Cornell got these and was able to sell them and so it was they were they were quite a bit more prevalent there so once once I was at Cornell in eighty five then I you know saw Macs all the time and was was using them but it wasn't really until um a couple of years in that it became clear just sort of how much better um, the Mac could be than other computers. Because remember, this is back in the time of the IBM PC running DOS and WordPerfect um, for word processing and uh, VisiCalc or Lotus123 and Foxbase and things like that. So, there were actually some pretty decent uh, productivity Apps for 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 Win- or I want to say for Windows for the PC. They weren't Windows yet. And so it wasn't until I used PageMaker on a Macintosh Plus with an external display, an unusual beast, and a laser writer. Cornell had, at the time, Cornell had this one station that had the external display and it was hooked to a laser writer. And um, Tanya and I used it to lay out a literary magazine that was one of those things where you just said, oh, my goodness, this could not really be done any other way. You know, that this is truly a unique capability. And so, that was that was the point where I think, you know, I sort of realized that, oh, it wasn't just an either or, and maybe the Mac was a little better. But, you know, in this particular case, the Mac was the only way to do this. So, a little bit you know, like what you know, what your your wife, um, your wife's uh, employer found, was that there were certain fields that picked up the Mac and said, "Oh wow, we can do stuff with this." And music was music took a little bit longer, but I still remember in the mid '90s, I knew a number of recording studios in in Seattle who were largely Mac based. You know, this was you know, a good bit later, obviously. But by that time, the hardware for bringing in sound and manip- in the software for manipulating on the Mac had become mature enough that you could do truly professional work that way. Well, I remember when
0: my wife's producer had a Mac Plus finally. Finally got the money to buy a new Mac. And remember, the first Mac cost $2,495. Mm-hmm. And the reason I mention that is there's a comparison... At MacLife magazine with the 27-inch iMac, the entry level being $1,799, saying "Look at the difference." But they would have shown a more interesting difference if they used the 21.5-inch iMac because that would be what $1,199, $1,299 compared to a computer that cost twice as much in 1984. Anyway, he got the Mac Plus, and he got some early recording studio stuff, and he had himself like an eight-track studio in his own home. Mm-hmm. Using the Mac as the front end, and was pretty good. Now, let me talk about my history. You're exposed to it in college. Finally, after several years, the company I was working for buys some Macs. Now, in 1987, the biggest rival to Adobe PageMaker came out. That was Quark Express, the first edition. Mm-hmm. So they bought a network of Macs with Quark Express. And they got the software to make it work with their high-resolution image setters. So you had output on film or photo paper. And that's the product you created. And, of course, we used laser writers to do the proofing. So I was learning the Mac during those years. Finally, in 1989, after using a Mac at work, I reached the point where I had to have one at home. And I invested. I leased the equipment. $14,000 Fourteen thousand dollars for a Macintosh two CX, a color display, a yep. laser rider two NT, and a bunch of software. I paid something like four hundred dollars a month for this back in nineteen eighty nine dollars.
1: Yeah. No, it's amazing how some of this stuff has come down. I mean, admittedly, you can still spend a pretty penny on a new, you know, loaded up Mac Pro. Uh, you know, I think we maxed it out at a little little under $1,000 or $10,000, sorry. But the it is one of those situations where, you know, the manufacturing economies of scale have become so significant that... It is, uh, you know, it's just, it's just, it's just astonishing how the prices have come down and the capabilities have gone up. I mean, you periodically see, you know, people doing these incredible hacks where, you know, they'll, I don't know, you know, run a Macintosh emulator on a Raspberry Pi or something like that. You know, like a thirty-five dollar computer. And I don't don't know if that's actually true, but, but there's, but it becomes obvious just how massively underpowered those machines were by today's standards and you know they wouldn't cost anything if you were building them today but of course you know you've got to keep the prices up so that there's some profit margins and and of course everyone wants newer and better things so you know we're not working on those 512 by 384 monochrome screens anymore but you
0: know it's interesting. 1989 Macintosh 2 CX, 8 megabytes. I was going to say gigabytes. 8 <laughs> megabytes of memory, a 100 megabyte hard drive that itself cost me $1,200. Okay, Quark yeah. Express in that computer. I will tell you the truth Quark Express 10, the latest version released last November, does not launch any quicker than Quark <laughs> Express on that 1989 Mac. No. Explain that to me. And I can't. (laughs) But I can explain this. We've got these announcements for you. We have Adam Inks joining Gene Steinberg on the Tech Night Out Live. Free
7: from the shackles of corporate America, we're the place for independent
0: thinkers. GCN. Formats I can't even list them. Download now to see if graphic inverter is good for you, like one and a half million other users. Guess what? You could save money when you buy graphic inverter. Use the coupon code NIGHTOWL. Use the coupon code Owl to get a special price for graphic inverter. Go to Lemkesoft.com. That's L E L-E-M-K-E M K E Soft.com. Lemkesoft.com. L E L-E-M-K-E M K E Soft.com.
14: Our friends at Legal Shield have found a solution. With a nationwide network of 6,900 attorneys who average 19 years of experience, Legal Shield's law firms take over 40,000 calls per week helping their members. For less than $20 per month, you can have access to Legal Shield on everything from the trivial to the traumatic. Let Legal Shield stand up for your rights at lsprotection.com. That's lsprotection.com or call 855-340-SAVE, 855-340-7283.
15: Pharmacist Ben Fuchs knows the importance of proper digestion. Make sure you take a look
5: at the Ultimate Enzyme product. They're made with bile salts and fat digestion enzymes and protein digestive enzymes. And Not only do the Ultimate Enzymes give you obvious benefits for digestion, but they can also help keep your blood flowing through your circulatory system. As most of you probably know by now, thick, sludgy, clotting blood is a serious risk factor for heart disease and stroke. Clearly, inappropriate and excessive blood clotting is a major health issue, and thick sludgy blood is not just about heart health either. Sludgy blood can compromise oxygenation and nutrient delivery to all your cells and tissues and organs and ultimately lead to almost any health issue you can name.
10: Concerned about proper digestion and heart health, order Ultimate Enzymes by calling 866 735 2470. That's 866 735 2470 or on the web at BrightsideBed.com. That's BrightsideBed.com. Order today. Do you know
13: what's going to happen next? Well, here's the Tech Night Owl. Live with Gene Steinberg.
0: You know, Adam Inks, there was an article in Byte magazine back in the 90s about software bloat, that software would become bloated to the degree that computers became more powerful. So it never seemed as if the software caught up because they kept requiring more and more of the system. Like, for example, Microsoft Word 5.1 back in, what, 1990, 1991, launched pretty fast. Worked pretty fast. You buy the current Word, which is Word 2011 for the Mac, run that thing on a high-end iMac. You know, top to the gills with memory, the best processor available, doesn't run any faster
1: you know it's it is interesting because i think there is i mean it's absolutely true there is software bloat in in some regards but it's also interesting what we latch onto for the kind of gut performance benchmarks and launching is an easy one because that's the one you sit and watch and for instance i've actually for as long as i can remember because I really don't like watching apps launch, um, I would always start all my apps at, at startup and then switch, you know, leave them in memory. And I always, you know, had enough, I always made sure I had as much memory as I could get so that I could do that without it being a problem. But it is interesting to me that, again, iOS is built on the same foundation as Mac OS X and look how fast apps launch, so to speak, on the massively underpowered hardware compared to a Mac, of an iPhone or an iPad. What Apple
0: has done here, because of the constraints of the platform,
1: they have forced developers to be efficient. Yep. Well, a little bit of forcing them to be efficient and sometimes just forcing them to work in certain ways, too. So the developers know that this is a problem, that they can't you know, kind of have this, the equivalent of the app bouncing in the dock for 10 seconds while it starts up. And so, they, Apple set, basically set the expectations and everyone knows that you just can't get away with that. And this and the system does a lot of it too. So, that there are things that happen, you know, after, you know, after you tap that, you know, it, doesn't necessarily all happen instantaneously, but sometimes the system is doing some of the clever queuing in the background in terms of reclaiming memory and and making it available to the app that needs it, as opposed to taking it from from where it doesn't need it and all of that kind of stuff. So it is, you know, it it has gotten better in some ways, but it, it what it really comes down to is that there are always people who want some more features than a particular app has. In whether or not most of the users want those features is irrelevant. You know, Word's a perfect example. It's got a bazillion features. It probably has almost any feature anyone wants. It's more that people don't actually even know that it has the features because there's so many of them are there, it's hard to find them. And But to add all those features in and then make it continue to work, you're going to end up with bloat. But for any one person, that you know, bloat feature may be the most essential thing that they could possibly want.
0: But it kind of seems also with iOS that Apple has helped developers find ways to do things more efficiently. And wouldn't it be nice to see more of that on the Mac platform? I obviously understand with Mavericks we've got things that make it run somewhat faster, but still. Anyway, still, Quark Express is slow to launch, <laughs> Adobe <laughs> InDesign is slow to launch, Word is slow to launch, and Outlook for the Mac is still a pig but that's just my opinion. I don't want you to comment unless you want to. All right, let's look at the 30 years. Now, the one thing that you and I recognize adopting the Mac is that the larger world existed in the PC universe, so we were outliers. We were eccentrics. We were crazy people, which in my case may
1: be true, but certainly not for you. (laughs) Hey, before I was a Mac user, I had an Atari 1040ST. You want to talk real Fringe? Yeah, it's, it, is, it is absolutely true. And, and it was an interesting situation because the Apple community really was a community because it was so small. Wherever you went, if you met someone who used a Mac, there was a certain level of kinship because you kind of knew what they had gone through in terms of being mocked by people and, um, you know, and and suffering from not having as much software available and this and that and the other thing. And so, those early adopters, and by early, I mean really for the first good 10, 15 years, 20 years maybe even, um, before the numbers grow, grew to a certain point, really did form a community. And that, I think, also had its effect on Apple and the Mac back in those years. And one of the things that it has really changed with the release of and popularity of the iPhone and the iPad and, and all that is that Apple has really moved well beyond any kind of community that the company just is just too big for it and too too self-propelled um too uninterested in in the opinions of of smaller groups of people plus there's there's just too many people now so if you see someone with an iPhone you don't you don't walk over and say hey you know cool iPhone what apps do you have
0: it's like the normal thing i mean right. in the united states what half the smartphones our iPhones. So it's a normal thing. And strangely enough, now, I see more and more people at a Starbucks or at other restaurants. More and more people have Macs, have Mac yeah. portables. It's not unusual anymore.
1: Yep. It's absolutely the case. And so I think that aspect of you know the computer bec- being something that was unusual and, you know, and, and very few people had it. And part of it was, I think, and maybe I don't know how this was for you, but I was, for a long time early on, was perfectly capable of using a PC and did. But I used a Mac because I was much, much more productive on it and I thought it was a whole lot more fun. And so, in my opinion, the only downside of the Mac was that it was more expensive And there was sometimes a little bit – there was less software, so sometimes you couldn't get a piece of software that you wanted. But usually that didn't matter because usually by the time you specced out a PC to the equivalent level of a Mac – the prices weren't that much different. And usually the Mac software was, if anything, better than the PC software. You might not have as much choice. You might have only two-word processors or three-word processors to choose from rather than 10. But it didn't matter because the two or three that you had were likely to be better than, than, than the 10 on the PC anyway. So, And you still had was, Word. It didn't like,
0: matter. You always had Word, no matter <laughs> what, because Word started on the Mac. I and mean, you make a big point here which has been the long argument with Mac and PC users, that the Mac is more expensive. And as you point out, yeah, more so in the early days. But in general, if you outfitted a PC with similar levels of hardware, every option as close as possible, the software as close as possible, even if there's no Mac or PC equivalent of a particular product, the prices are not that different. And you get to an interesting point where today, the Mac Pro is considerably cheaper than anything comparable on the PC platform but that's been true for a while it's not just the current model
1: yeah yeah the whole the the whole pricing world has really changed with the high end on the PC side going quite a bit higher and the low end going quite a bit lower you can get pc Laptops, you know, netbooks for nothing these days, and they're worth just about they're, that. Right, they're truly totally terrible, but that's you know that's what you get. <laughs> you get what you pay for. Um, so I do think that uh, there's going to be, well, I, I shouldn't say that going to be really the whole you know, oh, Macs are so much more expensive. I think that argument has really disappeared, that Apple has enough computers in the range where most people consider the amount reasonable that you don't hear that as the nonstop complaint anymore. Any given person may say, yeah, but I can get a netbook for 200 bucks. So you you, you can, but you're really not going to like it.
0: I use exactly one netbook. Girlfriend of one of my colleagues brought it to his house, And she wanted me to configure it to work with his Wi-Fi network. I mean, it's not a difficult thing to set up Wi-Fi under Windows. This is Windows 7, not this tragedy they call Windows 8. Not difficult at all. But the screen was so small. The keyboard was so small. All the keys (laughs) scrunched together. You know, I wanted to tell her, and I did. I said, really, you could have bought a used Mac notebook if you didn't have enough money for a new one. Why did you do this? We're going to explain why we do this. In a moment, we have Adam Inkst of Tidbits and Take Control Books joins us. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Owl Live.
7: The nation's largest independently owned and operated talk radio network, the Genesis Communications Network, GCN.
5: It's no secret that silver is one of the oldest known natural antibiotics. But the mainstream media will never tell we the people this information. Why? Many drug companies and politicians have dangerous alliances that manipulate the way we live by prescribing drugs that only manage disease, keeping us dependent on big pharma. And with Obamacare at our doorstep, we are now forced into a system that many of us do not want any part of. And no man or government has the right to dictate how we as free people choose to take care of our health. The patriots at utopiasilver.com hold this. Truth, dear. Colloidal and ionic silver supplements from utopiasilver.com open the door to a whole new world of natural healing for the body and the mind. Visit utopiasilver.com and discover the safe and effective health benefits of colloidal and ionic silver. Call 888 213 4338. 888 213 4338. And talk to the Patriots at utopiasilver.com. A leading source of natural healing using colloidal silver, colloidal gold, minerals, vitamins, and herbs. utopiasilver.com. We'd like to hear from you.
6: If you have any thoughts or comments about the Tech Night Owl Live, please get in touch at news at technightowl. That's news at technightowl. Looking for past episodes? We've got hundreds at technightowl. slash radio. That's technightowl. slash radio. Or subscribe on iTunes.
0: On the Tech Night Out Live, Adam Inks of Tidbits and Take Control Books joins us, talking about 30 years of Macs. Adam, how did you feel, especially in the 90s, where it seemed that Apple could do nothing right, and they were writing the obituaries?
1: Uh, It was tough. Those were the dark days of, uh, of Apple, and I remember a whole lot of people talking about their exit plans. Yeah, what were they going to do if Apple went under? There were some pretty, pretty horrific quarters where Apple was losing money like you would not believe. Even worse than that, they just weren't making products that people wanted. They were, they were flailing in a whole lot of ways. At the time, one of the things that we did, in fact, was that we started a, uh, a parallel newsletter, Tibbits, called Netbits, which was, which was covering internet things, and. It lasted for a while, Um, we did with our friend Glenn Fleischman, and we ended up, you know, stopping it because of Glenn having health problems, actually, in part as much as anything else, but it was difficult for us in that space because really our network, uh, you know, the people we knew were in the Mac space, and so to break out into the larger internet space, was just hard. And we never really quite cracked that nut of how to find readers and find sponsors and all that kind of thing. Um, but I do remember people talking about how, you know, yeah, maybe they'd take up, you know, furniture making or something. (laughs) And there were a number of people who did in fact leave. you know there were I remember Mac world writers or not Mac world, Mac Week writers who went over to other, other journals like uh, Information Week and PC Week, and they just felt that it was not the space to be committing a career to. So you know that was that was a tough time. And you know, I do think that Apple, pulled out of it with the return of jobs relatively quickly, but it was not clear for a a good bit after he came back that that was going to be happening.
0: A lot of it was just the sense of mind share. You believe Apple had some traction all over again after he made his moves. I know during this period, I was writing for Macworld Magazine, and then I switched to MacUser like two months before that publication merged and went out of existence and merged with Mm -hmm. Macworld. But regardless, I had a steady stream of writing assignments. I had book assignments, but I kept my fingers in the Windows platform just in case if I ended up having to do all Windows, I was ready. I even had a PC that I could work on. As little as Mm -hmm. possible, but I had it there. And Apple released some pretty treacherous products. I say treacherous, like for example all these quadras where you literally had to tear your fingers off trying to replace the memory. You had to pull everything apart. You had to take out these wiring harnesses and there are three or four of them and then unscrew the logic board, remove the logic board and put on the memory. And I remember a product demonstration from Apple executives where they came out with a brand new Mac where you could open the case within a few seconds. It came apart, put the memory in, everything like that, and guess what? You know what happened? They got a round of applause from everybody who had ever tried to install memory in one of those horrible quadras.
1: Yeah, well, the ultimate low was the Power Mac 4400 because it was actually Apple's weak attempt at at simulating what were called white box PCs, basically a really, really cheap PC. And it was just, oh, the worst machine. I mean, it literally didn't work very well. But, you know, all of the things that you take for granted in a Mac in terms of, nice industrial design thought towards how it opens how stuff is how stuff is you know inserted and removed it was as generic as possible and as you say with taking them out you would you could rip your fingers off just trying to open the case on the 4400 and again that was a time when apple really had lost a sight of what the company does well and they were trying to compete in markets where they really didn't didn't do well and didn't understand things and it was a tough era you know for apple and that's why when jobs came back one of the when i remember one of the first things he did was establish um the product matrix It was a four by four matrix where they had a you know a professional it was professional and consumer on, on one axis and desktop and laptop on the other and he said we want one computer in each box you know there'll be four computers basically, and I, at this point I can't even remember what each one was in, in the era. But it was it it brought it down to a point where it could be understood rather than having all of these different models and levels. And before that, Apple had also had the Performa series, which had a different number for every store it was sold in. So you can no never keep single
0: Apple executive. <laughs> Could, no matter how much they tried, identify them all. But you know something, in one way, Apple has kind of fallen back. There are models now, many of the Mac notebooks, for example, where you cannot change memory.
1: Yeah. Well, at least now there's a different reason for it. You know, now they're getting down to the point where eliminating the hardware necessary to be able to open the device. You can't pull the battery out. You know, all that kind of stuff allows them to save space and weight, you know, in a MacBook Air, you know, or even the new MacBook Pros where they're trying to get them smaller and smaller and lighter and lighter. You know, you have to at some point start jettisoning some of that ability to get in and touch it. Because if only robots have to touch it when it's being built, it can be smaller. There's a lot to be said about them robots. <laughs> yeah, now if only the robots would do my work for me. Hey, Wait, that's no, that a good idea.
0: Right now, I'll give you an example of this. As we speak, I'm doing a five hundred sixty-two page book for my co-host from our other radio show, The PowerCast. And that's before we get to the front of matter. It's all laid out in Quark Express, and I thought, all this manual labor of putting this together, if only the machine could figure it
1: out. <laughs> Yeah. Well, it's, uh, you know, and and some of this stuff really can be done uh, truly amazingly these days. But the other thing that has come to happen also is that the bar has been raised. If you think back on the level of desktop publishing that, you know, you were doing back in the early days of the Mac, sure, you know, a kid can do that on, you know, on any Mac in pages now. But if you want to do... What is currently modern day, you know, high end desktop publishing or high end publishing, you get into far more complex issues than you ever used to before.
0: Also, if you want to do a real quality job, all the nuances, the typography, the line breaks, everything really looks good. Yep. Sure, any kid can do something with pages and possibly pages will handle that, but dedicated publishing software does it a lot better. I think yeah. though for any consumer wants to do some kind of publication pages is really good
1: yeah i mean it's it's one of those situations where the low end publishing field disappeared that most people really wanted InDesign, or many fewer Quark Express, you know, and that has become the 800-pound gorilla. But it wasn't so expensive that people couldn't, you know, who were sort of in the middle wouldn't move up. And then the word processors became so so good, really, on the low end that all the kind of the low, the you know, the low-range um, publishing packages just disappeared because they couldn't compete with the word processor that was going to be much cheaper and useful for other things. And certainly all
0: the stuff that Microsoft did with Word was part of it. They added publishing features. Apple, in building a word processor pages, concentrated on stuff that a lot of people would be satisfied with when it came to publishing software. In fact, you get close to, you can probably do a full book in that application Upload the PDF files to one of these places that does print-on-demand <laughs> and get a pretty decent product. Adam <laughs> Engst of Tidbits and Take Control Books. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night How Live. <laughs> Neighbors, are you tired of dealing with a slow web hosting provider? Well, check out A2 Hosting and their screaming fast Swift server platform. They even have SSDs that load pages 300% faster than the competition. Ready to give your site a speed boost? Well, tell you what, neighbors, head on over to a2hosting.com. That's A2, that's number two, a2hosting.com. Check out their Prime Hosting account. And get this, neighbors, they're even giving you an exclusive 25% off discount For all our listeners, 25%. And remember, their Guru Crew support team is standing by 24-7, 365 days a year to answer any of your questions. Now, to get the discount, use the coupon code GENE when you check out. Friends, this is
16: Alex Jones for MidasResources.com. For more than 15 years, I have exclusively used Midas Resources for all my precious metal needs. Whether it's bullion or collectibles you're looking for, Midas Resources is simply the best. I own my gold as a hedge against inflation. This Federal Reserve fiat currency could go the way of the Deutschmark and the Weimar Republic any time. In these historically dangerous times, it makes sense to physically hold gold and silver. Midas already has some of the best deals in the industry. But if you give them a call and mention the radio special, they will give you a list of the day's super specials. Midas Brokers are standing by to answer all your questions at 800-686-2237. They also have a lot of informative free literature explaining the opportunities and risk of holding precious metals. They are ready to answer your questions at 800-686-2237. Again, that's 800-686-2237.
17: We travel so much, and having a fake TV, well, it gives added peace of mind.
15: Burglars look for houses that appear to be easy targets. But fake TV can fool even professional burglars into thinking someone is home watching television.
9: As a recent widow living alone, it gives me great peace of mind to set my fake TV near a window and know that passing motorists and pedestrians will think someone is home watching TV when I'm actually away from home.
15: Fake TV easily plugs into any outlet just like a light on a timer.
17: And they're so easy to use. You just plug them in and they're ready to go. Plus, they're so affordable that we have one upstairs and downstairs.
15: Fake TV is only $29.95 with free shipping. Order your Fake TV by calling 877-5-FAKE-TV or go to faketv.com. That's 877-532-5388 or faketv.com. Fake TV, the burglar deterrent.
18: It's that time of year again, and you know what that means. Cold and flu season. <coughs> but don't worry. Herbalhealer.com has you and your loved ones covered with our safe and natural products. Cold and flu fighters like beta-glucans, olive leaf antiviral capsules, grapefruit seed extract, HHA four-herb capsules, elderberry power, and Respirate. And don't forget about oregacillin for the lungs. Normally $34.95. On sale now for only $25. Vitamin D3 120-count soft gels. Only $9. 9- Dollars Whole body and homeopathic detoxes for the lungs, kidneys, liver, lymph, and brain. Normally $26.95, now just $20. HerbalHealer.com also offers correspondence courses to teach you how to handle your health naturally. And as always, new customers get a free 128-page catalog with your order. Visit HerbalHealer.com and click the Winter Specials button to save on our natural cold and flu-fighting products. HerbalHealer.com, healing the world with nature, one person at a time, since 1988.
13: You're listening to the Tech Night Owl live with Gene Steinberg. You never know what's going to happen next.
0: So, there you go. There's a lot more to talk about, but 30 years using Max, Adam's still at it, I'm still at it. We've resisted the calls to try the other platform. And the question of adding insult to injury, looking at Microsoft's situation with Windows 8. Just this week, Hewlett Packard says, Guess what? By popular demand, you can now get a new PC with Windows 7.
1: (laughs) Oh, this is nothing new. I mean, for a long time after Vista came out, people wanted to buy Windows XP. And I'll bet after Windows 7 came out, there were the people who insisted on getting it with Vista. So. It's one of those situations where the PC has become so much, a, sort of a piece of the of the of the scenery. It's bedrock. It does certain things. It does them pretty well, and people don't want it to change. But of course, Microsoft can't just say, "Oh, yeah, well, that's fine. We'll just keep." Updating XP forever, or we'll just updating Windows Seven forever. That they're in a world which you know rewards constant change and innovation, and unfortunately, it also sometimes uh, uh, it hits you pretty hard when you don't win, when you don't do a good job at that. So it's it's tough. I mean, you know, the PC has always been defined by backwards compatibility. And because people don't want new stuff and you know Apple takes a little bit of flack for that too you know you see iTunes 11 come out and people hate it because they don't actually want iTunes to change they were perfectly happy with the old one so it's, uh it's, it's a definite problem that we're seeing more and more in the tech world where the change is coming whether we like it or not and all too often we don't like it
0: yeah it's very interesting here about Windows and Microsoft. So many places, a third of Windows users, and maybe more, that's just the ones that go online, are using Windows XP, which came out in 2001. I have a couple of immediate examples. This chiropractor where I've been going for treatment for my back, he's got Windows XP, Windows XP Professional at his office. I went to the car dealer the other day to get an oil change on my car. They're using Windows XP (laughs) as their service management software. And they're selling, you know, brand new cars. Cutting-edge cars, that kind of thing. But the software, well, he said they're moving to a new place. Maybe they'll get new software. I don't believe it. But the other thing is point-of-sale systems that rely on Windows. You don't know what version of Windows they're using because they're not going online. You know, was, for example, Target using a Windows-based point-of-sale system that was hacked? Were they using Windows XP or what? It's definitely based on Windows.
1: Yeah. And this stuff doesn't change because, again, it's not about you know, oh, having the latest and greatest bells and whistles in the operating system. It just isn't. It's about having that point of sale system, that, that you know, car repair database, um, you know, your, the office management software that your, your chiropractor uses. And it's not that the, the software probably wouldn't run on new versions, but why should they change? They're not using Windows. They're using their software.
0: That's it. And also there's no incentive there for the companies that make this vertical market software to require an updated system. They want to reach as many people as possible. And if you're dealing with a place like a car dealer where they've got a multi-million dollar investment in setting up repair stations and stuff like that, well, they're just processing a service order where all they have to do is record that you got an oil change or maybe they changed the air filter or maybe you had a flat tire and you had your tire fixed It's a database. Right. You don't need the latest version of Windows as
1: long as the thing is secure. I've been testing uh, track meat management software for local runners club. And one of the big entrants in the field is something called high-tech meat manager, which is Windows software. It runs all the way back to XP. It's been around forever. It's ugly as sin, probably written in Visual Basic. But it has a trainload of features that are really persnickety and small and newer software doesn't necessarily have them all. And it's just one of those things where, again, if you are needing to use this particular piece of software, you really, really don't care what version of Windows is under it unless it doesn't work. And so as long as it works and they've made it work on everything since XP, you just don't care. Interesting here, local dry cleaner, computerized system. They're using
0: a dot matrix printer from the 1980s. Imagine what a printer looked like in the 1980s. They've got (laughs) one. They've got a PC at the front end, and they're generating receipts and management for their dry cleaning business. They're probably running Windows XP. I look at the system pretty quickly, running Windows XP. But this is what Microsoft is facing, and you've got tens of millions of people who have no reason to upgrade until everything falls apart, until the business falls apart. They're not going to upgrade. There's no reason. You'll change the hardware out if a hard drive goes bad or the power supply. You throw another PC in there with the same operating system, with the same software, and it just continues. And Microsoft is trying desperately to force you to have this new operating system. And from HP's
1: example, people don't want it. They just want the windows they have. Yep. Absolutely the case. And again, it's not even they want the Windows they have. They don't even want to think about it. And, you know, I mean, honestly, I think, you know, Apple's doing a pretty good job of avoiding this problem, frankly, by forcing the upgrades. Basically, all new Macs run the latest version only. You cannot stick with old Mac versions of Mac OS X for very long. You know, you might get five years out of it, six years out of it, but as soon as you need to buy new hardware... Game over. You're going to upgrade.
0: Okay. But the other problem would be in terms of Windows. And that is, if Microsoft tried to prohibit backwards compatibility on new Windows boxes, people wouldn't buy them because they say, I can't install Windows 7 or XP on this. I don't want it. Yeah. Yeah
1: well and they can't really anyway because they don't control the boxes so how are you going to specify i mean you I, I imagine they can and do say for instance you can't run windows 8 on you know a pentium so sorry it just won't work so they can do a little bit of that but for the most part they don't have that level of control and that's what apple gets by having being able to control both the horizontal and the vertical and now microsoft's
0: trying to find a new ceo And that's not going to be easy because you have people like Bill Gates in there who are going to expect Microsoft to continue with new leadership. And the new leadership who wants to be like Steve Jobs and say, we got to throw out everything and fix this stuff, they're not going to let it happen. And maybe that's one reason why Alan Mulally of Ford didn't do it. Although, you know, he's not a tech guy. You know, he worked with Boeing. He worked with Ford. I guess he's good in cars and transportation systems. But certainly not personal computers. So I am going to make no predictions. I'm not going to ask Adam to make any predictions about when we might see <laughs> a new CEO for Microsoft. We'll let Rob Pegarero, our next guest, figure that out. Yeah. Okay, that's what he gets paid the big bucks for, I think. They haven't called me. Nor me. But I'll work for $1 million. I think someone told me they'd do that for Microsoft if they call. Adam Inks, where do we find more of your
1: stuff? You can find us at tidbits.com for the news and reviews and www.takecontrolbooks.com, where we're actually having a 50% off sale on all eBooks through the 25th.
0: Wow. So when you hear this show, you better order very quickly. Yeah. Move fast. Move fast. Make that order. And actually, a little
2: secret,
1: usually
0: we let it go a day or two longer. Okay. So let it go to the 27th, I asked him. Adam Inks, (laughs) thanks for joining us on the Tech Night Out Live. Thank you, Gene.
7: We are the premier independent talk radio network. The Genesis Communications Network. G.C.N.
0: you <laughs>
22: Now you can get the same survival food U.S. Special Forces use on their toughest field missions. High-protein, high-energy, freeze-dried foods known as long-range patrol rations or LERPs. Soldiers love LERP rations. They're lightweight and easy to carry. Easy to prepare by just adding water. Easy to enjoy because they taste great. Civilians love LARPs as a solution for emergency preparedness and recreational activities with limited storage space, such as hiking, climbing, sailing, or RV travel. Veteran owned Freeze Dry Guy is your exclusive source for this 2013 U.S. military overrun. Long on nutrition, these delicious entrees have a long shelf life, lasting decades. But this rare opportunity, this limited supply, will not last long. You have to act now. Call 866 404 3663 866 404 food. Or log on now to freezedryguy.com, freezedryguy.com.
17: What's going to happen next?
13: You never know when you're listening to The Tech Night Owl, live with Gene Steinberg.
0: We're joined by a longtime friend of the show, Rob Pegorero, who has just recently gotten a brand new gig. Is that how it works? Okay, so... You're going to be hooking up with a new tech page over at Yahoo. Yeah. Yahoo Tech. Yahoo.com slash tech. So you're working over there with David Pogue?
23: Yes, exactly. My, my old uh, rival, when he was doing the tech column at the New York Times and I was doing one at the Washington Post, Yahoo uh, stole him away from the Times last summer. And I, I wondered at the time, well, I wondered what he's going to have in store. I guess I'll see some leaks out of the operation at some point. And then instead, I got an email from uh, Mr. Pogue himself asking if I'd be interested in uh, doing something at the site. So what I'm doing is writing a weekly column called The Rules of Tech, which is about uh, tech policy in all of its forms. So not just, you know, what happens in Congress and at the FCC and out of the White House, but but all these rules that companies set that limit what we can do with their products and their services and their apps. You know, all all these sort of norms we make up on our own as well.
0: Well, I guess the subject of net neutrality, which we'll get into a little bit later, is very much about the rules and regulations and especially in relationship to netflix which i guess feeds what like a quarter of internet traffic now Uh, a third at sometimes is the number i keep seeing wait till ultra hd kicks in we'll talk about that too but first Mm -hmm. microsoft did fairly well from a financial standpoint because of devices as opposed to software right yeah so is the surface taking off a little
23: bit or three or four people buying it instead of one Taking off might be saying a bit much, but they actually sold you know, more of them than, than I expected. I guess there is a bit of a market. We're talking here both the Surface RT and the Surface Pro, right? So it's not because they really are two separate devices. The, the RT runs the Windows RT, this very limited, much more touch-centric version of Windows 8 than what the Surface Pro runs.
0: Okay. So therefore, maybe they had something going there. And especially, oh, this, we're not going to get into it now, maybe next week. With Samsung not doing as well, maybe Microsoft has a chance to break through. Well, the other
23: thing is that the Xbox One did very well. That's of interest to me because the Xbox One, you know, that's, that's the one Microsoft product that, that there's no Windows branding in it at all. And they've done far better than it would have expected. If you remember when Microsoft got into the video game market, everyone thought, oh, they're going up against Sony and, and Nintendo. They're, they're going to get killed. And in fact, the Xbox has done great for them.
0: And Nintendo's not doing so well. Nope. They have not been enjoying the past few years. We're not going to get into Nintendo. Any question marks that you see in what Microsoft reported? Well, the big thing, this is separate from the earnings, but they have
23: to get the CEO search done. It's been going on for months. I can't imagine it's any fun for the people at the company who are, you know, kind of twisting in the wind. There are a lot of decisions that have to be that are going to wind up at the CEO's desk, and you've got Steve Ballmer as a lame duck. And it's been this weird public search where people have been like, uh, Alan Mulally was in the running for a while, and then he said he's happy at Ford. So who's it going to be? And, you know, I don't really, doesn't matter that much to me either way. Pick someone who's going to be good at the job and go forward.
0: Well, isn't there not a problem, though, when you have Bill Gates on the selection committee? Isn't he right. going to want yes. to have someone who's simply going to execute what he believes Microsoft should be with that kind of control. that's not his job anymore.
23: He's, his job is to, to run this great philanthropy and, and do great things like, you know, try to eradicate polio. Right. Once you check out, you need to check out and, and not he won't still do try it. to have a hand on the wheel.
0: No, he won't do it. He'll say, look, I might do some stuff part-time from Microsoft. But the thing is, as long as he's there and right. has that presence, it makes it difficult for anyone else, especially someone who's want to walk in there and be like a Steve Jobs and just throw everything out right? and, and what's, rebuild what's the company from generic? scratch. How can
23: I miss you if you never go away?
0: Right. So that's the problem here.
23: Yeah. Now- Yeah, and I don't know how you solve it, because who's going to say no to the founder of the company? It's an awkward situation.
0: Maybe what should happen, if he really loves Microsoft, and we assume he does, is for him to step aside, say, I'm not going to be involved in this. I want the board to pick the best person for the job, I'm not going to second guess this guy because what happens now is anyone being considered, they look at Bill Gates in the chairman of the board chair and says, this guy's going to second guess me. What can I do? What power will I have? Right. Yep. There you go. That is a big risk. We'll have to see where that takes us. All right. Let's go back in time a little bit. Consumer Electronics Show. It was only two weeks ago. It feels like so much longer. It feels like an hour. Yeah. All right. So let's go back. Now, what's interesting to me is the fact that every year you have wacky stuff from different yep. companies. Like, well, somebody said they actually liked the product. It was this mechanism that fits atop a paper airplane and makes it into a remote control plane or drone or something. Did
2: you hear about that? I didn't even that?
23: see
0: that. I thought I had attended, checked out
23: every exhibit at CES. Well, I Okay. Obviously I missed what was, I did not see that. I I, I like paper airplanes. So this, this has me sad.
0: Oh, well. <laughs> okay. What do you think? Let's talk about some of the crazy things. I think one of the crazier ideas they have there, and maybe the well-heeled will find a purpose for it. The curved TV.
23: Yeah. It's, it's only been the last 10 years, last 15 years where the industry has been saying, you know, flat panel TVs. You know, even before you had flat panel TVs, the secret makers were all taking pride in the fact that their TVs had a flat front. So we went from the flat front CRT to the flat panel plasma and LCD and now we're supposed to want a curve set. and yeah, I you know they're, they're, they're making the sales pitch that it's a better cinematic experience and I'll accept that at really really large sizes. You know, like the Uptown Theater in, in, um, in Northwest Washington, D.C. has a curved screen, and it's this beautiful, old-school, single-screen theater. But, you know, we're talking TVs in people's
0: living rooms. We're not talking about a 30-foot screen. We're not talking about yeah, it's, IMAX. It's not Cinerama. <laughs> right. Now, your 55-inch LCD TV, curved? No. Yeah. And and then there were a couple of uh,
23: Samsung had a few TVs set up where they were. Bendable. You could press a button on the remote and it would go from curved to flat, which I'm sure there's someone who wants that feature. I am not that someone.
0: I don't know anybody sane who wants that feature, but that's just me. Some people don't right. think I mean, I'm sane.
23: I'm impressed with the technology. You know, great work getting the glass and everything to bend, but don't need it. Thanks, anyways.
0: Well, this year I noticed there were fewer 3D sets. And correct me if I'm wrong. I looked over every new product from Vizio. No 3D amongst them.
23: Uh, Yeah, that was uh, the only real mention of 3D I saw. For the last few years, LG has had this huge video wall at the entrance to their exhibit playing this loop of 3D video. And I was almost wondering if somebody from the Consumer Electronics Association was going to send them a memo or maybe the other manufacturers would say, could you please replace that? We don't want to be reminded of the 3D adventure. Yeah, it's gone nowhere in the last few, um, over the last year, like ESPN has taken its 3D channel. They've gotten rid of that. It's, and the thing is, 3D is something you can actually really be impressed by when it's done well. A lot of like live sports events, it doesn't work, but a movie like Avatar, yeah, that was cool. Uh, And, you know, now everyone's betting on 4K and that has... On a lot of the set, the set sizes that people buy, you can't see the difference.
0: Well, supposedly the color gamut on the better quality sets is higher, so you get a better range and better color reproduction. So that might make a difference. But the issue here is, if you look at the measurements, and it's very complicated here, but there's a point at which you can't see The individual pixels are the difference, kind of the philosophy of the retina display on an iPhone or high-definition displays. So if you're looking at the 55-inch set from six or eight feet away, which is very normal, kind of we have the 55-inch set, we sit in the bedroom, we're maybe eight feet away, and it looks great. And you can barely see the difference between 1080p Blu-ray and 1080i, which is the best of what you get from commercial television, or maybe from your cable or satellite provider. Exactly. And exactly, we're going to pause for a moment. We have Rob Pegorero. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live.
7: We are America's largest independently owned communications
0: network. GCN. a2hosting.com. Check out their Prime Hosting account. And get this, neighbors, they're even giving you an exclusive 25% off discount for all our listeners. 25%. And remember, their Guru Crew support team is standing by 24-7, 365 days a year to answer any of your questions. Now, to get the discount, use the coupon code Gene when you check out.
23: expert in nutrition, diet, weight loss, immune system, and I specialize in chiropractic. My 15 years of professional experience has taught me the four keys to vibrant health, a balanced muscular skeletal system, an integrated nervous system, a flowing lymphatic system, and a body filled with over 90 essential nutrients. This has been A Secret Too Long. Actualize your potential, reverse disease. Call me, Dr. Z. evalyourself.com.
13: You never know what's going to happen next while listening to The Tech Night Isle, live with Gene
0: Steinberg. With Rob Peguero, now with Yahoo, where he's going to be working with David Pogue in technology. All right, so let's look at this very quickly here. We have four times as many pixels, but yes. if you're sitting there with a 55 or 60 inch set, you're six, eight feet away, you will not see the difference. It goes back to this retina display thing. So, for example, Samsung has the Galaxy S4 smartphone with 400-some-odd pixels per inch Compared to the S3 with 300-some-odd pixels per inch, they couldn't see the difference. Exactly. And the, no,
23: sorry, the HTC One has an even higher pixel density. And I wrote a piece about this last year. Who cares? That's a complete waste of engineer's time. Have those people stop working on making displays with more pixels than people can see. Have those people work on battery life. That's something people actually care about. And with 4K TVs, it's the same sort of effect. You see people... In one sense, it's great that uh, Vizio is going to have a 50-inch 4K set. We should say UHD, Ultra HD, I think is the approved term, but 4K seems to be winning out in the vernacular. Sure, Um, Vizio is going to sell a 50-inch 4K set for $999. That's great. But, you know, except for when, I guess, you show a bunch of pictures you've taken, run a slideshow of that, and people stand up and gather around the TV set, you will not see those extra pixels unless your living room is a whole lot smaller than mine is.
0: And mine isn't that big. Well, that's one of the reasons, for example, when they have demonstrations of that, they use still pictures to show the comparison. Now, the one that interested me is the next step up from the Vizio P-Series, which is 55 inches for $1,399. And they're promising us a review sample. So we'll see. We'll let you know if I can see the difference from that eight feet away. Now, I can see if you've improved every other part of the picture, maybe a wider viewing angle better quality colors, you could still have something that's superior, but it looks to me like kicking or screaming the TV industry and the entertainment industry have decreed we will have Ultra HD. Right. And I'll tell
23: you, the the TVs I was more
0: interested to see at
23: CES were not Ultra HD TVs. They were two different companies trying to make the the smart TV, the connected TV, a little more intuitive. One of them is Roku. There are now going to be some manufacturers coming up with Roku sets that have the Roku software and hardware on the inside. So you get that great, simple interface. You no longer need a separate box and a separate remote control. And LG bought what was left of Palm's webOS from HP. And they've adapted that interface for for their own smart TV. And and again, that's something that is, you you can see traces of the old smartphone interface there, but it's a whole lot uh, sharper and snappier than your average connected TV UI, where you have to sort of completely jump out of the regular TV User experience into the separate screen full of apps and switch back and forth as if you're in two different worlds.
0: The integration factor, but the other issue is here: everybody's been selling connected TVs for several years, right? And so it's about. I'm happy to see them compete on interface quality. But does anyone use it? How many people actually use those connected TV features? I can attest that I do. Well, I should note
23: we got a satellite TV back in 2009, so yeah, we um, we use Netflix and Hulu quite often. Well, I have to note, so Netflix, I've mentioned this a couple of times, Verizon and Netflix, there's something amiss in that connection because this last weekend, Netflix was unviewable, just constantly pausing and rebuffering. And I have a 15 uh, megabits per second Fios connection. That's about three times as much bandwidth as it should need. I don't think this is Netflix's fault. I think Verizon has a problem. And my problem is, what am I going to do, fire Verizon? Comcast itself is not plugged into the the free content distribution network Netflix has built to try to eliminate problems like
0: this. Well, maybe that's a trick too. And we can get into net neutrality in a moment. But I wanted to mention with Netflix and other providers, Netflix is now going to offer 4K or Ultra HD requiring 15 and a half megabits, 15.6 megabits. Now you've got 15, but of course, even if that was sufficient to get steady performance, you'd need 30 or more. Yeah, I mean it's not
23: just you know my connection. Every time I, I check it on uh, Speedtest.net, I'm getting what I'm paying for, which is great. But there's all these other factors. Uh, you know, Google did a good uh, presentation a while back explaining what can what can hold up a YouTube video playback, even when you think you have enough speed in terms of absolute bandwidth. And so, yeah, you need some overhead, and and not just because of. Fluctuations in the connection. You probably have other machines in the house that are going to be uh, doing something on the internet while you're trying to watch a movie. Yeah, certainly Verizon could sell me a faster connection, but I'm not going to pay for that just to watch 4K TV when, I mean, our living room, I don't think we could fit a screen bigger than 46 inches there. So I I am not going to be a 4K customer anytime soon.
0: Now, there is a new video compression scheme called H.265.
23: HEVC, I think, is the agreed upon term, or at least that's what everyone at CES was touting their support for.
0: Okay, now... I think it's the same thing. Okay, so basically we have 264 now. 265 is much more efficient. Will that bring the bit rate down any further for stuff no, like that's Ultra HD? No, that's the
2: thing. With
23: the, the figures you see, that's reflecting the use of HEVC. Without it, you know, forget it. You'd have bandwidth that would be just unimaginably steep. Now, the dirty little secret of UHD and something that myself and a lot of other people, did not call out You know, this time a year ago, is that all of the first-generation UHD sets, the 4K sets you saw at CES last year, can't play HEVC. They also don't have uh, the the right HDMI standard to accept UHD video at the proper frame rate. And uh, I hope not that many people bought them, because they've got sets that are not going to age that well.
0: Isn't that always the way it works at the early stages of a new standard? Where yep. the first sets are almost beta test devices. We assume this year the sets will support the new technology.
23: Yes, they, they all do have that. They figure that 4K sets should be able to actually play 4K video in the format you're going
0: to get it in. We kind of, kind of hope that. Otherwise, what's the purpose? But okay, so Netflix is going to say 15.6 megabits. And then we have to yeah. figure the other problem, which is bandwidth. Yep. yep. And that takes us to net neutrality, because right now, we already have the concern, as you have, maybe Verizon is doing something fishy in the back end when they get Netflix feeds, which is why you have the problem. But let me ask you, before we get into this in more detail, did you call Verizon and say, hey, what's going on here? I I get to complain to tech support. I did send some
23: queries the last time this happened to Netflix and Verizon, and they both said, ask the other guy. So... Yeah, this is one of these things it seems I'm going to be stuck with for a while. Uh, you know, obviously Verizon, they, they would like to sell me Fios TV. They keep sending me that pitch, but you know, given what they charge, forget the programming costs. These guys want like $6 a month for a cable card in my TiVo. Comcast would give that to me for free. I mean, if, I, if I'm ever going to sign up again for subscription TV, it will not be with Verizon when they're going to charge that much for this part that does nothing but authenticate that I'm a paying customer.
0: That is kind of like the bank. You go in a bank and you want to cash a check, but you don't have an account there, but the check is written on that bank. So you give them your ID, maybe you give them your fingerprint, and then they say, and Chase Bank does this. Maybe they need to recover those billions of dollars they paid in fines, I don't know. (laughs) $6. And I say, why $6? Well, that's the cost of processing. So I said, what difference does it make? How does it cost you any more to process this check signed by somebody who is not a customer of your bank, as opposed to someone who is. And they have no answer. It's just our rules. It's they're gouging you. And Verizon is gouging you. So let's talk about this. Two aspects here. Number one is bandwidth. Now, ISPs will have a bandwidth cap. And most people will never touch that bandwidth cap. But as more and more people stream video online, multiple gigabytes of data... It's going to happen. Certainly, if you get into watching
23: 4K video, if you start watching enough movies a month, that will easily get you close to the 250 meg caps you see at a bunch of you know, major well-known ISPs. And you, know, you do have some smaller ones. If you get into smaller markets where somebody's the only game in town, you're likely to see much less generous plans. But the thing is, net neutrality, that doesn't affect that either way because... A bandwidth cap by definition that that doesn't favor or disfavor any one internet use or any one application. You know, it's when you get into look at how things have worked out in mobile. For a while, AT and T said they were not going to let you do FaceTime calls on the iPhone unless you would paid for a mobile share plan. So that you know they they wanted you to pay for some service you didn't actually need, so that you could then make FaceTime calls. Whereas if you used an iPhone, if uh, you know with any other Carrier, you didn't have that issue. Uh, it's things like, you know, Comcast years ago got caught interfering with BitTorrent, and then they said we won't do it again. So that is what uh, what's at stake, and what happened is this: uh, this uh, U.S. federal court in the district said, "Hey, FCC, under the provision you've chosen to regulate internet providers as as information services, you don't have the authority to write an neutrality rules. You can't tell them." Uh, you're not allowed to block a site, uh, you, much less simply, you know, charge a charge a company for faster access to your customers or slow down, uh, access, slow down the delivery of some other sites and apps.
0: Let me break it here. Rob pegarero joins us. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. A little right.
7: Left, but always independent minded. The Genesis Communications Network, GCN.
9: Products from municipal water berkey water filter systems are even powerful enough to purify stagnant pond water for the gold standard in water filters get a big berkey at big berkey water and all gcn listeners get five percent off all ceramic filter systems for details call 1-877-99-BERKEY that's 877-99-BERKEY big berkey water filters for the love of clean water
6: Welcome back to the Tech Night Owl Live, where you never know what's going to happen next. And now, here's Gene Steinberg.
0: So, is net neutrality dead because of this court ruling? Tell us more, Rob Pegarero. It is not dead. But
23: it is in a much more precarious state. What we're left with right now, on the one hand, in some cases, Comcast, when they they did that NBC Universal deal, they agreed to honor net neutrality conditions, even if they were struck down later on. So they're still on that particular box. But Verizon, for instance, which brought the suit, they're no longer bound by this. And they've they said publicly, we're not going to block any sites. Uh, They have not said we're not going to start charging people for faster delivery of their content to our subscribers. Uh, AT&T Wireless, they're launching a sponsored data initiative where a company can pay, basically pay to have their site or their service exempted from the data cap. And if you have a lower capacity AT&T plan, that's definitely going to push you to use that company's service. Now, I don't think this is a real problem for a company like Netflix. They said their last, I guess, letter to investors You know, if this happens, if somebody starts interfering with their traffic, we're pretty confident that, you know, internet rage will persuade the company to back down. And I think they're correct. Netflix has a lot of customers. And if they think their service is getting interfered with, you know, in some drastic manner, more drastic than what I'm seeing with Verizon, where I think it's just some failure to take some easy steps to optimize the network, people will get angry. Problem is when you're looking at little startups that don't have millions of customers and are trying to get funding, and then at some point, a venture capitalist is going to say, look, I like what you're doing. I like the idea, but you can't compete because you're going against people who are already paying for that fast lane delivery. So you have that much of a higher, a steeper hill to climb. And I don't think you're going to make it. So we're not going to invest. Poof, there goes that idea.
0: All right. So where does this end up here? Is the FCC going to have to just figure out a better way to do this?
23: Well, two things can that can real Right. So the thing they could have always done You know, until 2002, phone-based internet providers, whether dial-up or DSL, were regulated under Title II of communications law as common carriers. And so that, I mean, that's how regular phone service is still regulated. And in that, there's no question that the FCC can write net neutrality rules, no question at all. But uh, in in the prior decade, the FCC chose to first classify cable and then phone-based providers as information services. And it's because of that that this court said you don't have the authority, and so the FCC could simply say, "Look, we made a mistake. These these companies are common carriers, which is exactly what I think of them as. The idea that Verizon—I I don't want the Verizon flavor of the internet. I don't even use the email service they give me. You know, I, I could not use their uh, even their domain name service if I want. In fact, I think this machine is set to use open uh, open DNS. So." I think that's the mental model most people have of internet access. This is not like AOL, where you're you're paying for this extra editorial layer. You're just buying bandwidth. So they could do that. That's more likely. You could have a situation where Congress passes a law. I know. Stop laughing. I think it's up to the FCC. Congress is not going to do anything. You might have some congressmen trying to strip the FCC of that title II authority, but that will that's not going to pass the Senate. The president will veto it if it did. Uh, on the other hand, I don't think. A bill that would say that the FCC can pass net neutrality rules on, for information services, internet providers, that's not going to get passed the House. So it's up to the FCC. And sure, they could try appealing to the Supreme Court, but you know they, they lost. It was a unanimous ruling by a panel of three judges. So I, I don't think that's going to work so well for them.
0: Well, you know, the only thing that will pass the House these days is a bill with two words in it: Obamacare derail if those two words are in the bill it'll be passed 40 or 50 well, maybe times maybe
23: you can have a rider sneaking in net neutrality rules but of course then the the, the any bill about a pump trying to repeal obamacare is not going to go anywhere in the senate so we're back where we were
0: all right so right now nothing is happening it's not as if unless there's an example between verizon and Netflix. It's not as if your Netflix feed will slow down. It's not as if your iTunes feed on your Apple TV will suddenly slow down if you use it too much.
23: Right. I think what we're going to have to wait to see here is what does happen if Verizon or another major internet provider starts in a serious way trying to get content sources online to pay for some kind of fast lane or priority lane access, or if we see... I would be maybe less surprised to see some small regional internet provider, which has no competition, decide that it is, in fact, going to start saying, you know, this content source we don't like is it's too much weight on our network. And so we're going to block access to it or limit people's use. And then we may have a case study. Is, is public shaming going to be enough to get companies to back off? And maybe that will, maybe this is something that, you know, Just public pressure and what competition there is is enough to keep ISPs from seriously monkeying with
0: their uh, subscribers' connections. We'll have to see. Okay, well, obviously, it costs money to provide the bandwidth and the infrastructure. There's only a finite number of servers, a finite number of backbone connections. And even now, in a crowded neighborhood, An internet connection can become saturated, especially with cable, where you'll have too many kids using their online games at night, and suddenly you're getting no bandwidth at all. You can't even get online barely. It's slowing to a crawl. So we understand there's an expense. In the end, because Netflix takes so much internet bandwidth, should they have a free ride? As a matter of fairness to a business, should Netflix pay you know, 50 cents per subscriber, whatever, to well, fund the, the bandwidth. They, they
23: don't have a free ride. They never had one. They have to pay for a lot of data center costs. They have their own upstream bandwidth to pay for. And furthermore, they've been building out this Open Connect content distribution network. And the CDN is free for internet providers to plug into. You know, that they tell internet providers, if you want, you know, we will put our storage appliances on your network to ease the burden.
0: So they're already
23: doing a whole lot.
0: So let me ask you a question there, then. If Netflix comes into Cox or Comcast or CenturyLink, whoever, and they plug in their servers to their network, does the ISP still charge that consumption against your bandwidth cap? And how can they get away with it if they have extra servers to handle the load?
23: Well, because, I mean, there it's still going to... You're looking at sort of the upstream and the downstream... Upstream and downstream is the wrong term. Where are you on the network? One is upstream of the internet provider and one is the sort of last mile. And so, I mean, look, a data cap, you may not like it, but it is at least neutral. And I think it's kind of it's kind of silly to talk about data caps as being necessary for scarcity reasons. I mean, if AT was really starved for wireless bandwidth, they wouldn't be doing sponsored data because you know, if you don't have enough bandwidth, it doesn't matter who's paying for it. In fact, they do. And so it's really, I think it's more a case of them trying to find a new way to monetize the connection they sell by introducing a certain amount of artificial scarcity.
0: But at a certain point, that's going to end. Just like, for example, they charge you per minute. Now you have buckets of minutes that are flat rate. So at some point in time, the guy go back to a much higher amount of bandwidth because the competition is going to go that way. Look what T-Mobile did with their right. special deals and everybody else is now trying to have early upgrade deals and early termination fee rebates. AT&T is doing that yeah. if you switch from T-Mobile.
23: Yeah, it's been really interesting to see how the uh, the industry's gotten upended by T-Mobile over just the last year, between getting rid of handset subsidies, which is a much more honest way to price and sell phones, Providing you know free low speed data in other countries instead of charging you through the nose for that, uh, and now they're offer where they'll, they'll pay your ETF if you switch from another carrier. And I guess the latest thing is they're they're also trying to become uh, the uncarrier wants to be an unbank. You know, the, a lot of customers in the U.S. don't have regular bank accounts, and so they're saying we'll be your bank. You know, provide an app you can scan checks on our phone, and you get a free checking account with us.
0: Okay, they set up an infrastructure to have an online bank. I'm thinking of Ally Bank. And Ally, of course, used to be GMAC long, long ago, many acquisitions and bankruptcies ago. It was GMAC, now it's Ally Bank for car payments and for an online bank. We have Rob Peguerero from Yahoo Tech now. That's where he's hanging his hat, among other places. I'm Gene Steinberger in the Tech Night Out Live.
19: Do you know how much the dollar has lost in its value against other currencies in the last 90 days? Ever think about how inflation will change your life, your savings? Your retirement plans? Remember inflation in Zimbabwe, Argentina, the Weimar Republic? Put another way, who cares if your investments go up 10% but you lose 40% of your purchasing power? Gold is the only monetary asset as no one else's liability. Gold still buys the same amount of stuff it always did. Gold does not require trust in a third party. You can possess it in your hand. You can take it with you. Gold is real money. Gold is honest money. My name is Daniel Larson from Midas Resources. To find out how you can protect your savings and roll over your IRA funds into precious metals accounts, please call me at 800-686-2237, extension 134. That's 800-686-2237, extension 134. 800-686-2237, extension 134.
11: Or go to my website, TaxHelpOnline.com. That's TaxHelpOnline.com.
5: It's no secret that silver is one of the oldest known natural antibiotics. But the mainstream media will never tell we the people this information. Why? Many drug companies and politicians have dangerous alliances that manipulate the way we live by prescribing drugs that only manage disease, keeping us dependent on big pharma. And with Obamacare at our doorstep, we are now forced into a system that many of us do not want any part of. And no man or government has the right to dictate how we as free people choose to take care of our health. The Patriots at UtopiaSilver.com hold. This Truth, dear. Colloidal and ionic silver supplements from utopiasilver.com open the door to a whole new world of natural healing for the body and the mind. Visit utopiasilver.com and discover the safe and effective health benefits of colloidal and ionic silver. Call 888 213 4338. 888 213 4338. And talk to the Patriots at utopiasilver.com. A leading source of natural healing using colloidal silver, colloidal gold, minerals, vitamins, and herbs. utopiasilver.com.
6: We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Tech Night Owl Live, please send it to news at technightowl.com. That's news at technightowl.com. If you'd like to discuss today's show with fellow night owls, visit our community forums at forum.technightowl.com. That's forum.technightowl.com.
0: Rob Pegarello joins us. His latest hat-hanging exploit is over at Yahoo Tech, working with my old friend David Pogue. But you're still doing the column for USA Today.
23: Yes, indeed. I figure I'm still getting people asking me, how do I make my computer do this or that? And I think to a certain extent, I want to stay plugged into uh, you know, what people's pain points are in, in phones and computing and telecom and whatever. And plus, you know, I like working with the people there. They're good folks.
0: Okay, that's good. As long as you get all the gigs you can handle, that's perfect. Let's go back into what's happening in the mobile phone space. Now, this has been commented upon. I don't know what the answer is. But up until very recently, especially with the USA providers, when they announced their financials, they list the proportion of sales for different products. But AT&T and Verizon aren't telling you whether... The iPhone was number one, the Galaxy S4 from Samsung, they didn't break it down. Is it something new in the way they're handling financials? Or maybe they're getting too much pressure from Samsung? I don't know. Honestly, I hadn't noticed that. That's um, interesting
23: that they wouldn't provide that amount of detail. I mean, I think that sort of information is going to come out eventually anyways. You know, there are, there are all these people doing these surveys in the mobile phone market. You can look at numbers of phones sold, uh, activations, Uh, you know, what the traffic is in individual Internet sites. It's not like it's going to be some kind of secret how many people are using Android versus iOS and, you know, how different manufacturers' shares are, which really it's it's Apple, Samsung, and then there's everybody else.
0: Well, now less so Samsung, it looks like, because of what was reported recently, that they're not pushing as many smartphones as they used to. It
23: can't be for lack of trying. This company (laughs) does. does... They've had so many, like I've given up trying to keep up with the phones they sell. The last from phone from them I tried was the Galaxy Note 3. And I've missed how many others since then. Um, yeah, th- there aren't that many uh, potential users they don't seem to be trying to go after. Big phone, small phone, phablet,
0: phone with a really good camera, uh, recognized phone. Well, sometimes that dilutes potential sales for any individual model. But let's look at this this way. I have not personally used a phablet, but a local property owner I know has one. Took it out of his back pocket. I couldn't imagine how his back pocket was large enough to contain that thing. I assume it was roughly five and a half inches screen. That's not even the biggest one you can buy. No, I realize that. Okay. So I looked at it and I played with it and I said, well, if I was a basketball player, this would be great. And the really big fingers. (laughs) I have fairly long fingers, but I thought it was still too big. Sticking it in my pocket, I don't put it in my back pocket. I like to put my smartphone in my side pocket. Fine with an iPhone 5S, with a little difficulty, a Galaxy S4. This was absurd. But I guess there's an audience for it, especially in Asia, more so than here. So Wall Street Journal is now saying that Apple is going to make an I was iPhone. that the other day. Yes. So it's going to be, what, four and a half inches and something over five inches. Now, Apple has not dismissed a larger smartphone. Tim Cook said, well, there are technology limitations with the current right. designs. What do you think about that? Is that just double talk or what?
23: I mean, I expect, I've been expecting at some point to see a bigger iPhone. I don't know about over five inches. I mean... I, too, have never really gotten the appeal of the phablet. I think you need a phone you can use one-handed standing up, like when you're on the train, uh, you know, you're walking through the airport, you're pushing a stroller, whatever. Those aren't edge use cases. I I don't get the appeal of something that you must hold with both hands to actually use any of the stuff on the touchscreen. And, yeah, I mean, my my Nexus 4, the screen on that is like 4.7 inches, and that's about as big of a phone as I want to look at. Because, yeah, you've got fundamental use constraints. And it's not like even a 5.5, a a 6-inch screen, if you're going to do a lot of extended reading, I'm more likely to grab my iPad mini for that.
0: Okay, but that's the issue here that Apple cites too. It's a matter of usability. As you say, 4.7 inches is the extreme. For a lot of people, 4.5 would be the extreme, and maybe that's as far as Apple plans to go. But I wonder about... A larger screen or maybe that's just something they're feeding i always wonder about these stories you read them in supposedly mainstream publications like the wall street journal and you wonder where are they getting this is a supply chain reporting that apple is prototyping yeah. something
23: there are a lot of apple prototypes that never see the light of day same thing with you know the, their whole categories of rumor stories you can throw out right away are they based on apple patent filings well that means nothing Uh, Is it based on something that you know? Digitimes ran because they talked to a supplier. You can usually throw those out.
0: So at the end of the day, the Wall Street Journal, though, you know, I've heard mixed reviews of the quality of their tech commentary, and I agree with that. Of course, now they no longer have Walt Mossberg and Kara Swisher. Right, they're off at Rico at a very good news site. Yes, but I'm not. The design looks kind of I don't know. I'm not impressed by it. I'm really not. I'll leave it up to anybody else to think about that. That's just my opinion. All right, so let's look at this in more detail then. Is this something that Apple got to do?
23: You know, they've already sort of expanded the screen sizes of the iPhone once. I think a John Gruber had a really good post on this not too long ago. You know, don't look so much at screen sizes, but at like aspect ratios, pixel dimensions, because Apple has made developers' jobs easier by sticking to so few, whereas You know, on Android, Google has had to step up and write some new development tools that take away some of the pain of all the different screen sizes you can be looking at writing across the universe of Android devices. Yeah, if you're going to have this many pixels over a larger screen, at a certain point, it's going to fall out of Retina display range. So how many other possible screen sizes do you want to add to the mix? And I would like to think that Apple will sort of be focused on, you know, basic usability, you know, phones aren't supposed to be that big but maybe i'm old-fashioned like that
0: i'm looking at the iphone 5s and think how much bigger can you make it yeah I, i could deal with the iphone 5s being wider
23: you know that was my thought when i tried the iphone 5 um yeah i don't know a whole lot of people have been wrong for a whole lot of years about what apple should do next with um the iphone or for that matter with the ipad the apple tv
0: Well, looking at the iPhone 5S, you can have a slightly narrower bezel left and right. Yep. That compensates for a little bit. And obviously, you can take space top and bottom. There's plenty of free space there. So maybe you could make four and a half inches without having it that much bigger, but keep the same aspect ratio. But pixel count has to go up.
23: right? Right. You know, Unless you have a little bit of wiggle room in terms of what counts as a render display. I mean, that's one thing where, like I mentioned before, a lot of the rest of the industry has kind of lost its mind in, in touting like 1080p resolution on a phone. Who cares? You will not see that. And, that, and that's those pixels aren't free. You know, you've got a cost in, in battery life and processing power to to to
0: draw them. Well, for a four and a half inch screen, maybe Apple would consider something closer to that to keep yeah. the high pixel density. Rob Peguerrero is never dense i'm oh, sorry sometimes i you. am <laughs> i haven't talked to his wife lately about that i'm gene Steinberger, you're in the tech night out live independently
7: leading the way for the nation compelling talk for every political
0: persuasion we are gcn
4: To thank you for being a loyal listener, we have a limited-time freebie offer for you. Claim your free heirloom tomato seeds, just pay shipping, right now at 123freeseeds.com. These aren't ordinary seeds. These are heirloom, non-genetically modified super seeds that are open-pollinated and can be grown, harvested, and replanted endlessly. These survival seeds are actually more valuable than gold in a crisis. Go to 123FreeSeeds.com and you can get an airtight storage packet of 150 super seeds free while supplies last to say thank you for being a loyal listener. First come, first served. Just cover shipping. Go to 123FreeSeeds.com now to see if your free heirloom seeds are still available.
5: That's one, two, three, freeseedscom dot com. These days, so many suffer from heartburn, stomach ulcers, and acid reflux. And most never realize it is the high acidity within the body that causes their discomfort. While selective diet choices can help, AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops can really make a change. A few drops added to water can optimize your body's pH level, ridding you of harmful waste and acid, promoting health and restoring vibrance and energy. Healthy pH levels make all the difference. High acidity can also cause depression, insomnia, and irritability. AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops bring you vital balance that can be truly life-changing. Alkalizing boosts immune response, reduces headaches and cramping, and even helps prevent bone loss. This is simple science that helps your body do what's natural. Order your AlkaVision pH Drops for just $29.95 at AlkaVision.com. A-L-K-A-Vision.com. Or call 800-518-7615. Alkalize your body. Supercharge your health at AlkaVision.com.
13: What are you listening to? The Tech Night Isle Live with Gene Steinberg. What's going to happen next? You never know.
0: So, you see, with a lot of these companies, it's not about having a spec that's useful. It's having a spec that's higher. Rob Pegorero joins us to talk about Many things. But you go along with me on that philosophy.
23: That's yes. the problem.
0: Yes. The, in every category, there's one
23: spec that everyone obsesses on to the detriment of everything else. For many years in cameras, it was uh, megapixels. In computers, it was megahertz. Uh, and, and now phones, you're looking at screen size, uh, screen resolution. And yet, to a certain extent, screen size as well.
0: Is that the same belief that went behind... Ultra HD, wow, well, we have four times as many pixels, therefore it's got to be better. But wait, there is an 8K specification, too.
23: <laughs> yes, for the past uh, two or three CES, the Sharp has had an 8K set on display. Uh, last year, Comcast had an 8K demo showing some Olympics footage that I checked out. And maybe it was two years ago. Anyways, yeah, thanks, but no thanks. All, all the problems that you have with 4K are uh, double or quadruple with 8K. but I'm sure there's a market for that. You can get, I think, uh, Michael Gardenberg, a really good analyst who now works for Apple, used to say you can get 50,000 people to buy anything.
0: Well, that's the hope for 8K. But you figure it this way. With 4K, I kind of think the die is cast. They're just going to build the sets, the technology will get cheaper and cheaper. In a year or two, the price differential won't be that much. Right. So you'll have sets with more pixels than anyone can see. But maybe people will speed up the seven-year replacement cycle. Uh,
23: That won't be me. You know, our our TV now, we've had this thing for like, it'll be five years this summer. And, you know, the the time it takes to launch the Netflix or the Hulu app, that's that's an annoying wait. But I'm not going to replace the whole set for that. Otherwise, yeah, good job, Sony. Thanks. Sorry, I'm not giving you any repeat business. Your set was too good.
0: Well, there you go. Also, by the way, since we're talking about TV again, looks like plasma is history. Not many yes. plasma sets are left.
23: Panasonic, which for years was the biggest fan of the technology, they're they're packing it in.
0: Yeah, and Samsung and LG had plasmas. Very few are left in the product line. Vizio left plasma a number of years ago. But it's taken this long for LCD quality to get to a point where Really, the biggest shortcoming is mostly the viewing angle.
23: Right. Yeah. I mean, they've addressed things like contrast and uh, refresh rate and LED backlighting has helped a lot. Uh, You know, now I think what's going to happen is that uh, OLED, organic light emitting diode, that's going to be the ultimate successor to plasma. Since That's supposed to really nail issues like contrast and response time. All these traditional hangups with LCDs don't apply to that. Now, the problem is OLED has been fantastically expensive, and it's, it's still a ways off from getting to an affordable price. And it may sort of get detoured into being a 4K technology. First, you had your OLED sets and your 4K sets. Each would be $20,000. Now, the 4K OLED set is only $10,000. The price will eventually get down, but we're not there yet.
0: Well, that's the issue here. OLED doesn't seem to be getting much cheaper. It has to reach a critical mass before it becomes a mass market success. At the same point, LCD is getting better and better. So at what point does the difference not make a difference?
23: Right. I mean, for the average customer, remember, normal people don't spend 10 minutes on the show floor at CES staring in two TVs positioned next to each other. They, they make a decision, maybe spend a few minutes checking out TVs in the store, and then they go home and they have one TV, and that's their standard. They're no longer thinking, what was this like compared to the other one I saw in the store or the other one I saw at CES? That's their TV, and they think it looks great most of the time, I hope.
0: The basic picture quality of a TV set, I think it's very good. Even the cheaper sets are very good. Of course, in the stores, they've got them turned up to this so-called store setting where everything is bigger vivid. and Vivid, yes. yes. Vivid. Okay. But the point being here is that even the so-called poor sets are not that poor. Yes, the big thing will be viewing angle. You don't look at them straight on, maybe... The picture will deteriorate more. But for most people, it doesn't matter. Right. right. And that's why people will be happy with the 50 inch set for $650. Exactly. And those things will hold on for quite a long time. Even the cheap sets may last well. But I guess to kind of get to this to a close, one other thing I don't know if you want to mention this or not, and we can switch this off if you don't. One other thing. In evidence at CES was the driverless car concept where basically the car figures it out for you. Now, a lot of cars these days have automation features. You already have the rear camera in even cheaper Lane cars. change features. The lane change feature used to be the province of an expensive car. What happens is if you go in the wrong lane, it's going to send you a warning tone. But it also requires having very distinct lines separating each lane. And if it doesn't, yeah, parts, the feature doesn't work well.
23: Parts of I-95 around here are not going to be so good for that.
0: <laughs> Got to make them smarter.
23: Right? right. So, yeah, the driverless carts that's so much in people's minds, I guess, because how do we find out about it? Google said, oh, hey, by the way, we've had these things driving around California for the last year. And you start seeing really wild, crazy predictions like, oh, this is going to revolutionize transit. It's really a long, you know, talk about the replacement cycle for TVs. Look at it for cars. You know, it's uh, we're a long way away from the point where you can start building roads just for driverless cars and, you know, count on that automation to let cars drive bumper to bumper at 60 miles an hour.
0: And I should tell you, the average age of a car in America is over 11 years. This is 2014. Therefore, the average car is a 2003. And those cars don't have Bluetooth. And those yeah. cars don't have satellite radio. And you have to accommodate those vehicles as much as the 2014 models and beyond. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's, it's a slower replacement process. And of course, the automakers are working hard to change that. But things like driverless cars, it's a lot more complicated. You have to have the roads. You have to have the state allowing for it. And how do you deal with insurance issues? How do you deal with the inevitable mistake? Oh, yeah. Who who has to indemnify whom? Right. So, therefore, if you're driving the Autobahn, say, which I presume still has no speed limit, how do you accommodate that? And it means that the German authorities are going to have to figure out what happens if there is the inevitable accident. This person is driving his own car. This is the computerized car. How do you determine fault?
23: Yeah, I think... You know, it's great that there is all this technology going in to the extent it can augment the driver's awareness and, you know, watch out for things, you know, look a little ahead for the driver. That's good. And that, that that alone will make a big difference. But the car taking over and the driver can take the hands off the wheel. Put me down as a skeptic of when that's going to be a, a mass market reality.
0: The other thing I worry about here is distracted driving. If the driver knows that the cruise control will automatically know if I'm getting too close to the car ahead, will break the vehicle or even bring it to a stop in case of an emergency. If I drift into the wrong lane, it'll warn me. If I get a little drowsy, it will send me a message saying, go get a cup of coffee. (laughs) What I'm saying here is if you begin to depend on the machine to fill in the gaps, Do you stop paying attention at some point? I took a test drive in this Honda where it's got the right side mirror. What you see there is also display this blind spot feature in the LCD screen in the car, in the front. Doesn't that... It's good. I mean, you know who's... It's easier to see that. It's easier to avoid a very tragic accident. But... Does it also lull you into a sense of security? And as a result, suddenly the great driver becomes a less great driver. And I think I started driving cars too many years ago to imagine. I drove a car with a stick shift, an import. And now I'm letting the car do the shifting for me, but I wonder, you know, am I losing my edge as a result? Rob Peguerrero never loses his edge. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live.
7: Great minds think alike. The network for the independent-minded. The Genesis Communications Network.
0: GCN. Neighbors, are you tired of dealing with a slow web hosting provider? Well, check out
16: A little over a year ago, I began to do a lot of research into why, even though I had a pretty good-sized meal, that I was still starving. eat as much to be satisfied I've lost 37 pounds in two months simply getting the vitamins and minerals I need check it out for yourself it's incredible go to InfoWarsTeam.com today and order your first canister of Beyond Tangy Tangerine Complete Multivitamin Mineral Complex Dietary Supplement that's InfoWarsTeam.com
13: what are you listening to the Tech Night Isle live with Gene Steinberg What's going to happen next? You never know.
0: One more segment with Rob Pegorero. You uh, find I'd him I'd at like Yahoo it. Tech and also on USA Today, among other places. So I started driving the first couple of cars I had were stick shift. I went slush box with a Buick. <laughs>
23: what about you? Uh, I, I still enjoy driving stick shift myself, and I was glad to see I spent the last two days of the Washington Auto Show. Stick shifts are still around. Uh, the new Corvette Stingray has a 7-speed, although there's also, there's some weird rev-matching buttons, so I guess you no longer have to blip the gas before you uh, downshift. Uh, they're, they're trying to make even the, even the manual transmission a little more automatic.
0: Well, the thing is here, it's reached the point now where a well-designed automatic gets you better gas economy you don't suffer the acceleration penalty and some cars such as my kia here i can just move the gear shift to the left and i can shift manually right exactly
23: and the the fiat 500e is a uh, it's a fixie it's this electric car there, there's no transmission at all because it's electric motor you have all the torque you want instantly that that was a fun little car to drive when i try one out over the uh over the the uh, christmas break
0: all right about cars google wants android in your car we already got microsoft in your car ford my ford Ford sync yeah which is not getting great reviews uvo the system from kia is microsoft powered okay so microsoft's in there google's in there apple is kind of getting in there with siri in the car and now ios in the car is that the next great battleground of these tech companies
23: I'm afraid so. And, and the stupid thing is it doesn't have to be that way there. There's a standard called mirror link that is designed. It's based on the VLC protocol where you basically get to have your phone, put a simplified UI in the car dashboard and in the touchscreen. And so you can have your navigation and your music apps. You don't need to duplicate them in the car. The car doesn't need its own connectivity. Anyone could use it, but no one has really supported. Apple doesn't want anything to do with it, which kind of dooms it right there. Uh, Google is working on its own Android integration. Audi showed off one system at CES where it's ridiculous. This car had its its own tablet, which you could then pass around to passengers. I'm thinking, you know, right now what I do is I pull up Google directions on my phone, then put it somewhere and just let it, let the phone call out the directions to me. And that doesn't have a nice, pretty interface. You know, I can't use it hands-free or anything, but it's good enough. And if that means I don't have to be in a situation where my car determines my phone or vice versa. Maybe I can live with that lesser integration.
0: Well, the one thing I think disappoints me is I've had a couple of cars in my life with navigation systems. They're always bad. Now yep. I just use my iPhone and I say, Siri, take me here. And usually it does a pretty good job.
23: Yeah. Yeah. Same thing. Well, uh, We bought our Prius in 2005 with the navigation system and we finally replaced the DVDs last year. And, We use it most of the time, it's there, it works, but you always have to like cross-check it against Google Maps to see what's traffic like, because the nav system doesn't know about that. And there's some cases where, you know, if you look up directions, it's the car's giving you ones that's going to take a little bit longer than what uh, the phone's directions will. But, you know, it's there, we paid for it, (laughs) we might as well use
0: it. Well, with a Honda, which I used to have, it would be $149 a year to get a new DVD. And we never did. I don't know. I didn't think that we should have to pay for such things. I think you should have over-the-air upgrades, and that's it. Would be nice. All right. Last thing to talk about, and that is 30 years of max. Yes. Now, Apple never made a big deal 20 years of max or 25 years, but 30 years, the executives are going out on TV. There's an interview, I think, with ABC featuring Timothy Cook. We've got Macworld magazine with interviews other publications with interviews yep. with key Apple executives. It's a big deal now. Apple 30 years of Mac. The thing of course they mention again is the Mac's going to go on. They will never integrate iOS with OS 10.
23: Good. Phones and tablets and computers can do a lot of the same things, but they are different devices.
0: And this was an interesting thing here. They point out that each is a tool that's useful for certain tasks. So, for example, Jason Snell of Macworld interviews the Apple crew. Apple's Fred Frederigi, He's the guy who, of course, is that great performer at the various media events in last year or two. And he's the guy heading up the OS these days. And he's yeah. pointed out that Jason had his iPhone, his iPad, and his MacBook Pro in his carrying case. And Jason takes out the MacBook Pro to take notes. And he said, this is an example. We provide all these tools, but you decide what you need for the particular work you're going to do. We're not going to tell you, like a certain other company in Redmond, Washington, <laughs> that you must have this particular product. You must do it this way. So what do you think?
23: So I you know, was spending some time playing around with Apple's. 30 years of Mac site. And it was sort of fun to see all the old models there. They had this, this quiz set up. What was your first Mac? Mine was a Mac SE, which my mom and dad got for me in 1989, first year of college. And they, they had this, this questionnaire. What did you use it for? And I'm like, where's the writing option? They had all these things like internet and email or desktop publishing that were impossible or very difficult on a Mac SE. And yeah, you could sort of go through this timeline. It was funny to see which machines they spotlighted the uh the mac portable got a little bit of a shout out there which and the mac tv which sold even more poorly than the mac portable there was no mention of the the mac clone era which as a former power computing user kind of made me chuckle a little bit but uh yeah it's, it's nice to see them you know taking a moment to, to spotlight how they got here and you know how over these yeah it's been in my case it, about like 25, just about 25 years. On my desk, there's been one computer or another with, except for the power computing interregnum, some Apple outline logo on the front of the machine.
0: Is it representing a change in Apple's philosophy under Tim Cook to leave and look back? They never looked back before. Yeah, I guess so. You're right. Yeah, I mean, the
23: 20th anniversary, uh, they had the 20th anniversary Mac, which is another model that, no one apparently actually, actually bought. Um, and yeah, I guess the the max 15th anniversary would have been the, the peak of the bad old days. And 25th, they didn't make a big deal, and that's usually a significant anniversary. Yeah. You know, we'll see. I guess it's um, in three more years, we'll see how much of a big deal they make about the 10th anniversary of the iPhone.
0: That will tell a lot and yes. you think the iphone's been around almost seven years by now how time right. flies when you're having fun exactly they did nothing about the 10th anniversary of the ipod not so much about the 10th anniversary of os 10.
23: yeah which was a pretty significant event in the company's history without os 10 there, there there is no apple since the the classic mac os was not really setting themselves up for future prosperity
0: no But that was a very significant event, and you can see how it was when I went to the rollout and I used the public beta and everything. 30 years of Macs. And we discussed that, some of my experience in the Mac in our previous segment with Adam Inkst. But he kind of got started on the Mac not long before you did. He started using it I guess
23: We're about about, uh, the same uh, age in
0: general obsolescence. Oh, if you're obsolete, think about me. (laughs) They look at me and they say, this guy has outlived his usefulness, and that was 20 years ago. All right, we don't get into that. Rob Peguerrero, tell our listeners where they can find more of the things you do. You can find me at Yahoo Tech at
23: yahoo.com slash tech at usatoday.com slash tech. Uh, I'm on the web myself at robpeguerrero.com, and I'm on Twitter as at Rob Peguerrero.
0: There you go. You can find us on Twitter, too. We're known as Tech NightHowl. We are Tech NightHowl on Twitter. And by the way, we have another radio show for you to check out also. It's called The Paracast, about UFOs and things that go bump in the night. And we're going to feature this weekend a wild and crazy guy named J.C. Johnson who checks into crypto-creatures like Bigfoot, dogmen, and possible Hmm. wolfmen. Paracast.com. That's Paracast.com. Rob is wondering... What's happened to us? On the Tech Night Owl Live, Rob Pegarro, thanks for joining us on the show. Thanks for having me on.
21: The Tech Night Owl Live is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. We'll be back next week. Same bat time, same bat channel.